welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Uh, let's just jump into the Word of God real quick, and uh, and I do mean quick because um, we got a, we got a training going on today. We got a volunteer training after service, and so if you're new to City Chapel or if you haven't jumped onto a serving team um, and you would like to, uh, man, uh, hang out after church with us. Uh, if you're a part of a, ser- a team that serves on Sunday. We're going to be kind of uh, re, uh, doing a refresher course for all of you, except for the hospitality team. We'll have a special meeting for the hospitality team later. But uh, for everybody else, uh, we're going we're to have a bit of a training today. And so if you want to be a part of, of any of the teams that operate on Sunday, a lot of people serve every single Sunday to make this stuff happen. I know you just often just see people up here, but there are people watching kids and, and teaching kids in the toddler, even in the toddler and nursery. They're praying over kids and giving them a Bible lesson in the elementary room, in the 12 and 13 year old room, uh, out there in the parking lot, folks at the tech booth, uh, somebody's always at the camera. Um, we got Corey and the worship team um, and uh, <laughs> Penny and the Jets and, and it's great. We just, we'll just, we'll just connect with you. But, but really we want to, we want you to find a place where you can serve. We've never, we've never recruited people out of need, like we need you to do something. Um, we really believe that you need to be doing something. And so our question is, what, does, what is God calling you to do? How is God calling you to serve? And then come on board and do that. Even just last week, we had a, we're forming a, a new team of a, like a guest follow-up team. And so if you like to, if, if, you're, if you're very outgoing, but not pushy and weird, um, we'd love for you to be a part of our guest follow-up team, right? We want to, we want to... I didn't name any names, but if the shoe fits, like, I'll just let the Lord, I'll let the Lord convict you as, as, as he leads. Actually, <laughs> actually, just a quick story. Last week, I, last week, I sort of made fun of people who like, who like rush to their car after service. You guys, you guys remember that last week? I said, some of you guys just rushed your car after service. So after service, I was talking to a couple of those hanging out out here. And I said, oh, how's it going? And they're, they're like, well, since you called us out... We decided to stay and talk to some people. And I said, all right, man. Well, I wasn't thinking about you when I said it, but, you know, if the shoe fits. And, and so we're just talking. And then another couple came up and talked to them. And, uh, and he said, Pastor Harry, you don't have to call me out like that from the front. And so I turned and I said, I, I don't think I called anyone. Like, it's, it's ever, like, this applies, like, to a lot of people, basically. Or as they say in Texas, all y'all. Like, this applies to all y'all, the entirety of y'all, which is not even a word, but the entirety of that non-word, word, it's every, everybody, it's just everybody, it's just, that's what it is. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, if you're not weird, we'd love for you to be a part of the guest follow-up team. If you are weird, you can be a greeter or something like that, I don't know, it's, join some other team, it's great. There's, there's room for weird people, it's all good. We're in Austin. Yeah, yeah, whatever team Poppy's on, it'll be great, you'll... Have a good time. Um, no, uh, jump, jump to, if you have a Bible with you, go to Galatians um, chapter 5, verse 6. I bring, I calm this team, this room down a bit. We got to get serious. Um, no, I really do believe God wants to do something today. I think when God shows up, there's great joy and that's good. And sometimes even that's just enough, just refocusing and recentering you. 
um, because there's not a lot of joy in the world. So, so to find the joy of the Lord is so powerful. But we've been in the sermon series on the book of Daniel, really on the first six chapters of Daniel. Uh, only because the first six chapters is the, is the story part of Daniel. Uh, the, la- the latter part of Daniel is all about his prophecies and his prophetic dreams. But the first six chapters is really about the story of Daniel, and it spans a, a, a time period of about 70 years. Daniel was kidnapped from his home. He was taken captive, and he was forced to be a slave. His parents were forced to be slaves. And so he's in a very traumatic situation. One, he's experiencing personal trauma. He's experiencing national trauma. And then he's thrust into a country that is so anti-God. And Daniel does something that I really want all of us to do. And that is he holds on to his faith in the midst of, of absolute uh, headwinds and cultural pressure. Daniel is able to hold on to his faith in God. And so I really want us to be able to do that, Um, but he does something else. He doesn't just hold on to his faith. He does the second thing. And the second thing he does is he actually influences the culture that he lives in. And that to me is, is fascinating because in our modern world, we kind of have a concept. I grew up in the church and a lot of times within the church, there's, it's like there's this false dichotomy. You either hold on to your faith or you compromise your faith. Those are your two options. You hold on to your faith and uh, you, you, you know, just pray for me that I hold out to the bitter end and you're all by yourself and you have a bunch of cats in an apartment. It's you and your faith and a bunch of cats and it's just, and it's just you and Jesus And nobody likes you because you're grumpy and and you're mean and everybody avoids you, but but you're holding on to your faith. And it's like there's that side of it. Or you're over here and you're like one of those trendy churches, right? And you're compromising your faith and you're cutting stuff out of the Bible and you're you're just saying, you know what? You believe what you want to believe. We'll believe what we want to believe. And love is love. And we'll all just kind of get together and we'll all make it to heaven somehow. There's one mountain, several paths, you know, downtown Austin sort of stuff. You know, it's like... It's like just, it's, 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 it, and it's like those are the two options, it seems. And I really don't believe that's true because you have Daniel who somehow finds the middle of the road. He doesn't waver in his faith, but he's not weird. He doesn't waver in his faith, but he doesn't offend everybody. He doesn't waver in his faith, but instead he impacts and influences the culture that he lives in and you see that in several stories where the like like the entirety of Babylon Babylon ends up hearing about the God of heaven the God of the Hebrews because of Daniel's ability to balance his faith with his expression of that faith or the love that he he has for people and so uh, we've been talking a lot about faith and really particularly about the battles that culture is presenting to us, right? That there is a battle, I started off, there's a battle for your identity. That culture will try to rename you and rebrand you. Uh, But man, if you want to hold on to your faith, you're gonna have to first understand who God says that you are. You're gonna have to find your identity in Christ, right? So there's a battle for your identity. There's a battle for your beliefs, right? And so if you're getting your beliefs from, I don't know, a talk show host or, or, or Facebook or just, or just your parents or your culture or what your people, or what people tell you on the job, if you, there's a, but there's a battle for your beliefs. There, there really is. Culture is pushing you to believe a particular way. And yet for us as Christians, we must find our beliefs from the Bible, from the word of God. It is unchanging and it is always relevant. And so if you miss those messages, you can go back on our podcast. We are on, I don't know, pod, like 
I think we're on Spotify, we're on a couple of iTunes, we're everywhere, we're all over the place. Uh, and uh, yeah, so um, Blake uploads those every week. <clears throat> so if you miss those, go listen to the podcast. You can also go to our website, watch the video if you prefer video. Um, and then the next week we talked about there's a battle for your worship. There's a battle for your worship, for your adoration, for your affection. And your affection must be focused on Christ and on God alone, which is why weekly worship is so powerful. Weekly lifting of the hands and shouting with your voice and maybe jumping a little bit and, and speaking in tongues and come on my soul, don't get shy on me kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because it's important because there's a battle for your worship. And as for me and my house, we're going to worship the Lord and I'm going to train my kids. I'm going to take my kids to a place where they're going to worship the Lord. And that's why we don't just worship in here. They also worship in the six to 12 year old class, right? They're also lifting their hands and praising the Lord because we want, we, we, we understand there's a battle for our worship. And so we want to worship God and God alone. But today I want to sort of shift gears a little bit and let you know that there's a battle for your expression. There's a battle for how you express yourself. There's a battle for your expression. And I, and I see uh, the, the perfect example of really what, what Daniel was and what my prayer for us is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, really the second part of this verse. If you're reading it in, in, uh, in, in your Bible, the first part of the verse says that there's, in Christ there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcised people, but it says the only thing that counts, that's important, <laughs> whenever, whenever the Holy Spirit says that, you might want to perk up and listen. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I thought that was such a beautiful description of what I'm trying to say. It takes me a long time to say it, but the Holy Spirit says it in one sentence. The only thing that counts is faith. You better have faith. You better know who you believe in. You better be sure in your faith. But if you have faith and you express it in any other way other than love, you're not doing it right. If you have faith expressed in any other way other than in love, it doesn't work. It doesn't impact a culture. It doesn't change a culture. And so there's, a, there's just, there's just a, a couple of things here that I want to talk about because there's different, there's obviously there's a thousand different ways we could express our faith in the wrong way. But there's a, I think there's two main um, temptations that I've noticed in the church and also in the secular world, ways to express my faith. And the first way is to express my faith with conviction. So one of the great dangers of, 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 of discovering your faith, pursuing your faith, building up your most holy faith that's been passed down from the saints, right? The scripture says, one of the dangers of that is that when you express that to the world, you will express it with great conviction. And conviction is good. It's good to hold to your convictions. But when you express your faith with conviction and not with love, this is where we run into trouble. This is where churches, uh, particularly, churches become uh, holy huddles. Right, where we, where we gather on Sunday and we express our faith to each other with great conviction. Because we have the truth. Those people out there, they don't, but we do. And we have the truth. And so we, we rehearse the truth. We rehearse our faith because our faith is strong. And we're very strong in our conviction of our faith. And we're very firm that we're not going to compromise our faith, right? And so we're going to hold on to our faith. I actually grew up in, in, a, in a holy huddle type of a church. It wasn't always that way. It started off a little different. But it's like over the years, it's so tempting when you are, when you are very, uh, you know, when your conviction level is high. 
It's very tempting for that to be the most important thing. And so you gather around with a bunch of other people who hold the same convictions, and you share those convictions with each other. And if you're not careful, like, I've seen churches, like, they, they, they're so used to huddling that they forget the purpose of the huddle. That the purpose of the huddle was to decide upon a play and then to leave the huddle and go enact the play in order to move the ball down the field. And so, and, so, and, so, and so what happened was, I grew up in a holy huddle church, we were a part of a holy huddle church, and we stayed like 30 people for like 24 years until it shut down. And we were in the same like geographical area for something like, I was like 15 years that they had that same building on 9th and Court Street. And I don't know of any of the neighbors who ever came to know the Lord. I literally personally never got to know any of the neighbors, which is just strange to me now as a pastor of City Chapel. It's like, wait a minute, why is the church in a community but not benefiting the community, not reaching out to the community, not even carrying on, carrying on conversations with people in the community? Why? Because, because you're so strong in your conviction that the only way you express your faith is through conviction. I remember one time I was talking to a guy, uh, one of the adults, I, I was 17 years old and I had felt called since I was 12 and definitely called when I was 14. And so I became, I become very active in the huddle. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, uh, I was a hype man in the huddle. I was, uh, I was fired up, right? I mean, I was a preacher in the huddle. Like I was like, I became very active. And so I was leading prayer meetings and different things because I'm really uh, excited about God, about what God's called me to do. And so he was asking me, he said, Harry, you know, what are you going to do? They used to call me Harry J, actually. That, that was my J, was my middle initial. So uh, Harry J, what are you, you going to do after you graduate? You know, because graduation's coming up. Everybody's asking teenagers, what are you going to do with your life? You know, and I knew what I was going to do with my life, right? Like I was going to pastor. And so I said, man, I'm thinking I'm going to go away to Bible college, I think, because there's some stuff. There's like, I, like I know a lot, but I'm sure there's stuff I don't know, and I don't know what I don't know. And so I want to find out what I don't know, right? So I'm going to go to a Bible college for a few years, um, and then I'll, and then I'm planning on coming back and just being on staff at this at this church with the pastor and his wife, and like and so I was telling the man, you know, I think we could I think we could do some stuff. I think we'd do some outreach. I think we could bring some people in, you know, and and like the church could grow. And, and I remember he just looked at me like with his like I was from outer space. He just looked at me and he was like, "You think people would want to come to our church?" <laughs> and it was one of those moments where it was so weird because. He was so surprised by what I believed, and I was so genuinely surprised by what he believed. And I said, well, like, I kind of like it, right? Like, you guys like it. Your family's been here for the whole time. Like, you guys, you guys know about it. Like, we like it here, right? It's a good place. <laughs> like, and he's like, well, yeah, but people don't want to hear the truth. And I said, well, I think people want to be free. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. So I think, I, like, like I, it was such a disconnect. And I, I remember that, that stood out in my mind for so long. It's just like, wow, the, maybe the reason why this church isn't growing is not because we're not, like, sending out flyers and stuff, but it's because the way we express our faith is with the conviction that we believe people really don't want to hear it. Like, and I was like, I, later on, I was like, what? I mean, who doesn't want to hear good news? 
If what you're saying, people don't want to hear, maybe you're not saying the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Maybe you're expressing the gospel with such conviction that actually it doesn't sound like good news to them. Because I've never gone to somebody like, I got some good news and some bad news. And they're like, oh, forget the good. Just give me the bad. That's all I need in my life. Like, no, like good news is usually termed as good. And, and it's so interesting, you can, you, can, you can get so much in the huddle because you had a couple conversations one time with somebody in the grocery store somewhere and you tried to argue with them, right? And you tried to convince them that, that your way was right and the correct Greek pronunciation of this particular word. And it's like, and, and, and it came across not as loving. It came across as, man, you were set and you were right and they were wrong. And so you have a couple of those bad experiences and suddenly you come to the conclusion, you know what, I don't think people really want to hear the, this, this gospel. So we just need to share this with each other. In fact, don't even tell other people because it's kind of embarrassing. They're going to think you're, you're mean and stuff, right? And it, and, it, and, it, and it shuts down. The church forgets why it exists. It exists to move the ball down the field. And by the ball, I mean the gospel of Jesus. And by the field, I mean this area. It exists to win people to Christ. You were not saved to become secluded and sequestered and locked away so that you could just, you know, hold on to your faith until the bitter end. Like you were saved to be sent out to make a difference. You were saved to, one, communicate the good news of Jesus to your family members, to those around you, to your neighbors, to people on your street, to people that you work with. Like, you were saved to go into the mission field, into the harvest. The field is ready, but the laborers are few. Why? Because the laborers are hanging out at the house. And so Jesus said, pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send those laborers out of the house and into the field. That's my prayer for us, that we would not become a holy huddle. That we would not just, I'm not interested in people just going from one church to another. (laughs) I'm not interested in growing like that. I'm not interested in like, okay, what can we do that will attract more Christians? Why, why do you want to attract more Christians? Like, what are we doing to win people who are not Christians? And I don't just mean like sending out flyers and mailers and like Facebook ads and stuff. No, I mean, people, no one's been saved by a Facebook ad. Nobody ever. Nobody ever got saved by marketing and by flyers and mailers. They're saved when one person sits down with another person and expresses their faith through the vehicle of love. And they see the faith that's been passed down. They see the value of it. They feel valued by the person. And so I want to challenge us to express our faith in love. It's good that you have your faith. It's good that you're submitting to Christ. And it's not that you're perfect, but you are submitting to Christ. That's wonderful. That's the first step. Get, get a faith that really affects you and impacts you. But then after you have that, express that faith through love. Express that faith in a way that, that is loving. Second, I, I, think, I, th- I think the other thing that we express our faith is through... Uh, with more of a critical nature. And this is really more in a secular arena. And this is, I guess this is just a soapbox for me. So I won't, I won't get on my soapbox for too long, but I'm just like, we, we live in, it's, it's interesting to me how what I saw in the nineties in our church, honestly, it was like an all evangelicalism. Like we were the moral uh, majority, I think is what they, they, they called us. And we were going to, we were going to get Clinton out of office. And, uh, cause you know, cause he's ungodly. 
and uh, we're going to get George W. in there. Apparently, he's very godly. Uh, you know, an oil tycoon for Texas, what could go wrong? Put him in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were just, it was, it was so interesting that there was such a, like a, uh, like a willingness to be mean. A willingness to be harsh. Like a willingness, an okayness, as long as you're being harsh toward the right people, it's okay to be harsh. And I saw that kind of in the church a little bit, and it really wasn't very prevalent. And now, man, 20 years later, my gosh, like our culture is, our entire culture, both, both Christian people and unchristian people are so mean and harsh and brutal and violent with their words. Just careless. They're just like taking swords out and just swinging at, at random people. And, and, and so I, th I think one way in which we could express our faith and love is to, is to deny this, this, this thing that's so popular. So like, in, like on Facebook, you, you, ha you, you see a meme and it's a cutting meme toward a particular people or group of people. Don't share it. <laughs> this is a practical preacher right now. Do not hit share. You say, oh, but it's right. It's true. Well, you're, you're good. Good for you. But if you express truth in any way other than love, it's going to do damage. And it's crazy to me. You can even express true things, good things, and yet people have no filter, and they'll just express it in such brutal ways. So I don't know. I don't know if this will help you or not or offend you, but uh, I was scrolling through Facebook a while ago, maybe a year and a half ago. You guys remember the whole Gabby Petito situation? Um, Gabby was like a 22, 23-year-old girl, and she and her boyfriend were out hiking, and uh, uh, she was lost, right? And then um, and it was kind of cool how all the social media came together to try to find her, to try to find her killer, and the whole thing turned out that it seemed as if, I guess, the boyfriend is the one who strangled her um, in the, the forest, and then he came back and killed himself and left a note about the whole ordeal. This took multiple weeks to figure out, um, and meanwhile, while this is happening, this is becoming a bit of a sensation. It's a story, and there's a lot of press and news and media around it. So we all kind of, I think we all read about it. And uh, shortly after all that happened, I saw uh, somebody that, that used to go to our church, they shared this meme. And I think they shared it in the same way that I think many people share cutting awful things. <laughs> they don't mean it to be cutting and awful. We're just so used to it. We're so used to brutality. It's like trying to, it's like, it's like if I was alive 2,000 years ago trying to talk to Romans and telling them, you know what, I know it's fun to watch people go down to the Colosseum and have their legs cut off and stuff, but really it's not good. <laughs> it's not good that you're entertained by this. You know what I'm saying? Don't go to the Colosseum, Christians. Like, it's not cool. Like, it's, it's like taking slaves and pitting them against lions, this is not supposed to be entertainment. In the same way, I feel like our culture verbally is so crucial and critical and, and brutal and harsh and violent and vulgar that we say things that even sometimes are true, but they're inappropriate. You shouldn't say them. Like, I mean, people leave, you know, people leave babies in their car and the baby dies and immediately, it takes like five seconds and somebody's blaming that person for being an awful parent. And it's like, oh my gosh, this person is suffering it, because their child is dead and you're admit, like we were looking for somebody to blame, some lesson to learn from like everything. Guess what? Every national tragedy is not a chance for you to become a better person. Wow. <laughs> Just FYI. It's not a chance for you to get on your soapbox and lecture everybody about the ways in which, in which we could all be better. No, it's, it's not what it is. 
And so I, they, I saw them share this, and I don't know who Haley is, but it, the, the original post was by her, but it says, I didn't know Gabby, most of us didn't know Gabby, but we all know a Gabby, a woman who is in an abusive and manipulative relationship and needs help. That's probably true. We have to be better for the Gabbies in our lives. We have to do better. She deserved so much better. And I read that and I thought, man, I don't know Gabby either. I don't know her family, but I do know that she's a 22, 23 year old girl. She has a dad. I have a 13 year old girl who has a dad. And I cannot imagine losing my daughter, especially in that way. It wasn't just, she didn't just get in a car accident. No, she was strangled, left for dead in a forest somewhere. She was in this horrible relationship. And so I was thinking, man, this is awful as a father. And then what must make it even worse is that on social media, this was one of the nicer posts, by the way, people are like, she deserved better. And they don't know what conversations her dad had with her or her mom had or her youth pastor tried to intervene. They don't know, they don't know the situation at all. But the, because of the result, they judge the process on the result and they blame everybody who's in that process. And it's like, oh my gosh, I think every dad in here would say, my daughter deserves better, even at my very best. You know what? I probably have messed up in some areas. But when the rest of the world at the most vulnerable, most awful time of your life is like, man, she sure deserved better. Like it's your fault or something. I mean, we just like whip out our swords and start hacking away at people without regard to who we are tearing down. And I know the person who shared this and, and, and this person has good intentions, I think. And I think honestly, this was kind of convicting for the person who shared this because honestly, the person who shared this, that's, the, that, that's my friend, I don't think that person has really ever tried to help people in this way. And I'm sure this person does have friends who are stuck in those kind of abusive relationships. And she says, you know what? I need to say something. I need to do something. But honestly, that's part of the problem, that there's just, the, in our culture, there's such a toxic cocktail of one, really extreme ignorance. Like we've never tried to help anybody. We imagine it's as easy as having a conversation. <laughs> but as somebody who's been pastoring folks for the better part of my life, I will tell you, 22 year old girls who are stuck in manipulative and abusive relationships are in it because they want to be in it. <laughs> and you can talk to them and you can say this guy's really unhealthy for you and it's really bad and he's he's making you do this and he's pushing you beyond your boundaries and i mean look i've been talking to people who who, who are doing all kinds of horrible things to themselves and they don't change unless they decide they want to change and you should have conversations absolutely you should say things absolutely but never judge yourself based on the outcome if i judge myself as a pastor based on the outcome of all the people that i pastor i would quit every monday i would just quit because because some of you all are really discouraging i'm just saying I'm just saying, I'm a, I am a failure. Oh my gosh, didn't I just preach on that last Sunday? Oh my God, didn't I have that confidence? Didn't I call them up and say those exact same words? Like, haven't I counseled them in the opposite direction? Oh yeah, I have, absolutely. Haven't I brought the word of God? Wasn't I persuasive? Absolutely. I mean, I brought everything I had and they just were like, nope. <laughs> But that's life, like this is what, this is what life is. And people who think it's otherwise, it's because they just have never really tried. So I would say, go ahead, go, go try. 
Go try to talk to people. Go try to change people. Get them to drop that drug addiction. Get them to walk away from that unhealthy relationship. You go ahead, get them to change their life. Go for it. And you will find, that's why, that's why toddlers are so confident because great ignorance comes great confidence. <laughs> toddlers are like, I know how to do that. But old people, they're like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Because with, with age, with experience, as you get to know more, you find out you really don't know very much. All right? So we have in our culture just this, this toxic blend of ignorance and arrogance. And now we have uncorked any kind of self-control. And we just took that off. And, and we are just vomiting over everybody. Can, 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 can we just make a pack at City Chapel? We're going to set a... There's, there's going to be a filter over our mouth, okay? There's going to be a filter over our thumbs. There's going to be a filter over our fingers. Before we type, before we text, before we speak, we're going to ask, is this loving? Because one of the greatest ways to mess up the expression of your faith is to taint it with a critical spirit, is to taint it with harshness, is to taint it with fault finding. Come on, spouses. One of the best ways to mess up a really good message to your spouse is to taint it with who's to blame here. Unless it's you, unless you, figured, unless you actually looked in the mirror for once. But usually when we're like looking for who to blame, we're not looking in the mirror. We're looking out the window and we're like, all right, who messed up? Was it the kids? Was it my spouse? Was it my pastor? Was it who, who did it? Who done it? And it's like in every relationship, it's, eh, it might be you. It might, it, but, 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 but if you want to mess up the expression, you what you're saying can be absolutely true. Your faith can be absolutely correct, but if it's expressed in any way other than love, you're not going to impact people. And I'm pretty sure this kind of meme doesn't make people better. <laughs> I've been told I need to be better uh, too much in the last two years. And I'll just tell you, I'm no better. <laughs> Zero progress has been made in your pastor's life. <laughs> you can ask my mom. No, just kidding. I'm a little bit better, but not because of any meme. I, I only get better as the Holy Spirit works within me to not just like get my faith, but to learn how to express my faith in love. To not just say what I want to say. To not just be me, <laughs> but to be me that's submitted to Christ. To be me that cares about people. It really cares because, you know, you can, you can tell somebody the truth and be like, well, it's up to them. And it is. But I, I, I'll bet you're not going to move the ball down the field. You know, Detroit Lions have a quarterback that just chucks it and well, it's up to the wide receiver. Well, I don't know. When Matt Stafford throws it, it's a little different. Because you can, you can, you can speak something with, some, with, with conviction or you can speak it with love. And it makes all the difference in the world. <laughs> a little Super Bowl reference. Which, by the way, I was happy that Matt Stafford won the Super Bowl all by himself. It, the Rams didn't win. It was Matt Stafford. I was, I was thankful for, for Matt. Matt finally, the Detroit Lions. Look, our 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 quarterback last year won the Super Bowl this year, and the quarterback we currently have was in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So I'd say we're doing pretty good. <laughs> 
I didn't hear any Dallas fans saying, oh, we have somebody that was in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Lions greater than that, Lions greater than Cowboys. I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. That's, that's not from the Lord. That's just straight, that's, that's true. I didn't speak that in love. I'm sorry. That's what not to do. That's what not to do. I'm just, I'm helping you, giving you some examples. You guys getting out of control. All right, we got to wrap this up. Just this week, God spoke to me about this very thing because what happens is the third, the third way that we re- react, you know, we, we react with conviction. We express our faith with conviction. We express with the critical spirit, but we also often uh, react um, conditionally or rather we reflect, we reflect what is acted on us. And this is where I see certain churches who reflect their culture more than they respond to their culture. Certain Christians who reflect their culture more than they respond to their culture. They look just like the people that they're talking to. They reflect it. And it's, and it's, and it's compromise in some areas and it's conflict in others. So God spoke to me about this very thing this week. I was reading a quote. We don't have it on the screen, but it's by a guy named Steve Deneff. He said, the love of God never repays in kind. <laughs> That's what, the way I would say it is Jesus never loved people like they loved him. So he wasn't just a reflection of the way people treated him. He wasn't just a reflection of the way people believed in him. It wasn't just a, he didn't just reflect his culture, which sometimes is, is compromising and like almost over-forgiving. But in other times, is really harsh and really critical. And what happens is if you're more of a reflector than a responder, you're going to at times be very, very just open and accepting of everything. And then in other times, very unaccepting and intolerant. Why? Because you're reflecting the culture. You're just reflecting it. And even in your relationships, your relationships are going to be great sometimes and horrible other times. So marriages. <laughs> okay, so Ephesians 5 tells us husbands, I'll just, I'll just speak to all the guys, that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Christ never loved the church the way the church loved him. He never did. He never said, okay, this is how you're treating me. This is how I'm going to treat you. Okay, this is what you're giving me. This is what I'm going to give you. He never did that. He, he, God never loves in kind. He doesn't reflect the treatment that's coming to him. Instead, he comes with intention. The love of God never repays in kind. It absorbs the offenses of others, grievous offenses, and out of love, it returns a soft answer. It's getting quiet now. Uh, we're all about not sharing the nasty stuff, all those people sharing stuff about Gabby. But, but, but here's the interest. In, in your life, can you say, I absorb the grievous offenses. I absorb my kids' volatility. <laughs> I absorb... My... The floor does not absorb your ink pen, Baloo. I'm sorry. It just it bounces every time. But can you say, I absorb my spouse's anger? 
I absorb that. I, it's, it, and, and, and it's not that I'm a doormat. It's not that I just let people walk all over me. Jesus wasn't a doormat because Jesus wasn't interested in pleasing people. So he wasn't just trying, okay, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? No, he, he knew who he was and he knew how he was going to love his bride. He had thought about it. He had thought about what his intention was and he had already decided that. So when lack of love came at him, he didn't just reflect that. He absorbed that. Dealt with it. He didn't just push it down. I'm fine, fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. No, like that's not, that's not. <laughs> he didn't just push it down. It's called depression, right? You know, he, he dealt with it. He said, Father, forgive them. Right? Because they don't know what they're doing. And before you can say, Father, you have to forgive them yourself. And so he actually dealt with it. He, 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 it's not something he was going to bring up in a later conversation. <laughs> it's like when the, the thief of the, when the thief of the cross gets there or when the, the Roman soldier gets up there to judgment. Okay, now, there was that time, remember, when you took that nail and started pounding it into my wrist. Like, uh, he wasn't going to bring it back up against them. He dealt with it. In other words, he, re he reconciled it in his mind and released them of it. And he said, it's not right what's happening, but I am choosing to love and to react differently than they're acting toward me. I am going to choose to absorb their hurt, their grievous pain sometimes. I'm going to absorb their offense, and I'm going to love. But this is kind of the, the crux of it, right? Because at the end of the day, we can talk about expressing our faith in love. But it kind of all comes back to the conversation I had with, with, with my girl one time. She was eight or nine and I was talking to her about the way she was treating her brother which wasn't very nice <laughs> and um and and we kind of worked through that and she said okay you know I shouldn't have done such and such and I said all right well you're gonna need to go talk to your brother and make it right and so she did she apologized to him he was six I think and she was like eight so she went and said I'm sorry and he said I forgive you and then she came back and I I have no idea because <laughs> apparently if he takes her toy she's going to get angry and when she gets angry she's going to say things throw things something something's going to happen she said I don't know I said well that's the trick isn't it I said look when 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 dad is mistreated do you see dad get angry throw things grab things call people names no how does dad do that she said I don't know I said well here's what scripture tells us scripture doesn't say be nice to your brother Jesus said, you must love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. I said, do you love your brother as much as you love yourself? She said, no. <laughs> She's being honest. And she said, Dad, how do I do that? I said, that is the question. That's the question that every true believer of Christ comes to. Wait a minute. So it's not just be nice to people. Love them? Like prioritize them? As much as I love myself? Oh. I, I, how do I do that? And when you reach that point, the only answer, the only answer is the grace of God. You do not learn to love. You must receive the love of God. You must be transformed, so transformed by the love of God that it flows through you. And so I want to I have that conversation with you right now. 
that I had with my eight-year-old. Do you love your brother? Do you love your spouse as much as you love yourself? Do you love your coworkers as much as you love yourself? Do you love your boss as much as you love yourself? Do you love your employees as much as you love yourself? And if you say no, I got good news for you. The good news is that we, all we like sheep had gone astray. We had all turned our own way. But the Lord laid on his son the transgression or the iniquities, the sin of all of us. And because he did that, when he did that, he made a way for us to enter into covenant relationship with him. And that relationship is transformational. It's not just one way. It's not just him loving us. It's us loving him. And as we are filled with his spirit and filled with his presence, we can reflect the wonder and beauty of Jesus to those around us. So if you'd like to receive that love today, I just encourage you, I just invite you right now just to raise your hands God in greater measure so that I can love others. I don't have. Let's just be honest. I mean, some of us do. Some of us do. We are, we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, and that's wonderful. But some of us don't, and some of us do in certain circumstances. <laughs> and we find still that there is a lack of love in our heart. And so, Father, we open up our hearts to you. We want to express our faith and love. We want to impact our generation. But we must first be filled with the love of God. We must first be absorbing the love of God so that we can step out into a harsh world and absorb their criticism and absorb their, their heartless comments and absorb their judgment and absorb their gossip and absorb all of the things which they did to Jesus. They'll do to us. If they did it to him, he was perfect. They'll certainly do it to us. We actually deserve some of it. We've, we've, we've messed up in some areas. But Lord, we need to be filled with the love of God. So we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into our hearts to fill us with a fresh vision of the love of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord.